Hello and welcome to The Sum Up. In this episode, I catch up with Paul Gilbert from Community Finance once again after his recent visit to Waitangi and also after the recent changes in New Zealand housing policy. Now, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, I encourage you to do so. Um, Paul lives and breathes to help people into their first homes through innovative means and in many ways by bypassing the impasse of central government and giving the power to community organisations and investment funds. Now, Paul and I will hopefully be working together on some future projects, highlighting some of the success stories of home ownership and rental in New Zealand in what can only be described as a housing crisis in many parts of the country. So, Paul, welcome to Ponsonby High Street. <laughs> well, I ha- you know, I haven't been here for ages. It's great to be back. Yes. So, thank you. That's all right. You're welcome. Let me just get this sorted out here. So, look, last time I spoke with you, you were just on your way up to Waitangi. And um, so, first of all, just fill me in about what was achieved up there and around the whole housing crisis in New Zealand. Yeah, so there were a lot of interesting conversations going on up there. Obviously, that is a kind of set piece in New Zealand in terms of you can't go to Waitangi and have a conversation that doesn't recognise the deep connection to history that exists in that place. And so I had some amazing meetings, particularly with Hapu and Iwi while I was up there, talking about the housing need, not just in Northland, but all over the country. Um, So it was well worth the visit. And it's, it's often the unexpected conversations that you have from bumping into each other face to face that are the ones that are the real magic up there. So well worth the trip and and, um, I think worth just for for your listeners dialing back a bit to the Treaty of Waitangi, Te Tiriti, because what most Kiwis don't realise is the fundamental role that some of the individuals played in getting the treaty over the line and their one of the main motivations for them at that time was the same issue we're facing today. It was rampant land speculation and protecting mana whenua from greed, effectively, of newly arrived settlers trying to do massive land grabs and basically taking land off Māori. And so, in one way, uh, here we are, fast forward, right, (laughs) 2021. Rather cyclical. Rather cyclical, yes. How many cycles, I don't know. Um, but fascinating to, to, to hear really in-depth stories of the loving relationship between Hone Heke and Henry Williams. Henry Williams was instrumental in not only translating the treaty, but getting it signed. And, and, and people say uh, the relationship and the trust that he had with local mana whenua and with Māori at that time, if he'd so much as lifted his finger, the treaty would not have been signed. So very interesting parallels for today with Māori, with housing, with land, uh, with the government and with rampant speculation in the property market still being issues so many years later. So, so what were your kind of key takeaways from your time up there? So I think um, top level was there's, there's never been greater need in our living history as a nation 
for all our people, Māori, Pacifica, Pākehā, there's never been greater need, unmet need in every region of the country for safe, secure and stable housing, affordable housing. So that was a really big takeout because um, rather bizarrely, we find ourselves in a situation right now where there's never been more cash and more money washing around in the system at the same time. So there's a tremendous opportunity to join those two things up. Because if we've been saving for a rainy day, the rainy day is here. It, it, it's raining cats and dogs at the moment in terms of unmet housing need. So how do we match that massive flow of money that's washing around in the system? You know, the Reserve Bank's been printing money like, like you wouldn't believe, billions of, of, of dollars. How do we match that up in each place with a supply side solution as in new housing and services that best meets the unmet demand and unmet need in each of those communities? Because each community is different each context is different and therefore the problem and the solution that's going to, you know, release that problem is, is different in every every place, every space. So so I went to Kaikohe uh, and, and walked around Kaikohe with, with Paul Wehonge and some other locals and looked at the opportunities they have there as well as the absolutely shocking state of the existing housing stock up north. Um, most Kiwis would be ashamed if, if they realised what we expect people to live in up, up, up there. Uh, it's not acceptable. It's making people sick. So what, what are some, just give me a couple of examples. Well, these are leaky, mouldy, old houses not fit for habitation. Some of them are owned by the Far North District Council. Some of them are in the private rental market. Uh, some of them are state houses, not many up north. Um, they kind of reach as far as Whangarei and not much further. Um, but a lot of them are just absolutely dilapidated houses that have not been repaired or maintained for many years. And, and that's quite upsetting because you, you, you hear with the recent government reforms the bleating of the property owners um, uh, complaining about you know, the removal of their fabulous and lucrative tax rebates and, and all these incursions from the government. I think the government's done a great thing. It has sent a very clear message to the speculative property investor market, stay out of the residential space, or if you're going to play, we're going to tax you. Um, because we're really trying to move things in favour of getting first homeowners back into owning, owning homes. So I think that's a great signal. It was interesting because, you know, a lot of things have sort of, a lot of things have passed under the bridge since we, we spoke last a few weeks ago. And um, watching the, the, the fallout from, it was almost like Crimea River. You know, the, oh, I've, yes. I've seen the, the, the number of, uh, anybody would think that the, 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 the sky had collapsed and the ground was opening up for property investors, and I think I was reading a piece in the, the Herald the other day and there was some organisation representing landlords who was doing its, its efficient lobbying job, um, you know, telling us of all of these woes, etc. that's going on. And it's interesting you talk about, you know, the, the country's the slush of money here, and obviously some of that's printed by the central bank, but, you know, it, there's an enormous amount of investment capital still around and I know what, what's your thoughts what, you know uh, is it going to be enough to keep most investors out of it I mean the pure the pure economics and the, and the calculation of looking at 
what um, you know how much a property is going to cost how much their mortgage is going to be how much they can get for rental income and if they can't off offset their mortgage their mortgage interest against that is it still a viable investment for them oh look I think, I think it'd be a great opportunity, thanks, you've opened it right up there for me to step in and, and maybe debunk a few myths, because there's yeah, some extraordinary do. myths in the housing system in New Zealand, right? Yeah. So if I ask the average Kiwi whether they think the rental market is functioning well, and I mean a, as a market, most of them would say, yeah, sure, you know. Well, here's an interesting bomb to drop on that myth, right? So if the, of the total rental market in New Zealand, and I can tell you that that's about, say, just short of 600,000 houses that are in the rental market. If I said to you, any or any man or woman on the street, how many of those do you think are government-assisted, i.e. the people living in those houses paying the rent can't afford to pay the rent on their own, they need some government subsidy to help them pay the rent, whether through income-related rent subsidies or accommodation supplements? How many have government assistance and are propped up by the state versus how many are independently owned and rented? What would you say? Uh, I wouldn't have a clue. Half, half or? I would like to think probably 50-50, yeah. No, not even close. So two-thirds, 366,159 are assisted by the government, 190,000 are independent. So 366,000 so propped up by the government. So hold on a minute, you've got, you've got two-thirds two two of, of the rental housing stock being propped up by government finances to private landlords currently receiving tax benefits from offsetting their investment exactly. mortgage interest. Exactly. So as, as Simon well, Wilson... That's, that's not a bad gig, is it? It's a great gig. As Simon <laughs> Wilson reported in the New Zealand Herald last weekend, that's about $60,000 million dollars that's 60 billion in another mathematician's language, of wealth that has transferred through capital gains, untaxed capital gains up to 217, just that period price 217, 60,000 million dollars of wealth that went to the property owning elite during, during a period prior, that was um, core logic data. Um, so there's a real wealth transfer, there's a real haves and have nots situation and the divide between property owners and those who rent has rapidly accelerated over the last 20 or 30 years, especially the last sort of 10 or 15. Uh, the worst period actually in terms of decline of home ownership happened under Helen Clark's Labour government. So we've got a, a lot of work to do. And by the way, no government's better than, than the other. They've both been taking turns at being equally rubbish at, at dealing with the housing situation. So let's talk about the current government. And obviously, you, you, you probably deal with, with ministers and MPs on a, on a, on a reasonably yes. frequent basis. Yes. Um, do you find it frustrating? <laughs> yes. Yes, this, I, I, we call it consonant dissonance. Have you, have you heard of that? I've heard the phrase. Okay, so I went and saw Bill Bailey last week. He's absolutely fantastic. He's a visiting British British comedian, and he did a skit on consonant dissonance. His 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 example was smoking, where the smoker knows it's bad for them. I know it's bad. I know it's bad. It's going to kill me. Oh, but I like it so much. I like it so much. It makes me happy. So that's you know, at one level, as human beings, we look at a situation or a set of actions and what those actions are delivering by way of outcomes, and we know it's not working, yet we continue to do it. So here's an example. Last year, uh, year ending 
sorry, I just want to get my numbers right. Year ending June 2020, the New Zealand government spent $3,514 million, so $3.5 billion was the annualised spend on housing, most of which was assisted rentals. So that's popping up those those yeah. those rental properties. So that was two point zero eight four million, two thousand and eighty four million on assisted rentals, uh, just over a billion on public housing, and three hundred odd million on transitional. Now I liken that to Jacinda having a bucket, but there's a hole in your bucket, Jacinda. There's a big hole in your bucket because what is that money doing? It's paying rent. It's not. It's not fixing the problem. Right, so we're not delivering new housing supply with that money, we're just treading water. What it's actually doing is paying the investor's mortgage on the property. Well, that's true too. Yeah, yeah I mean, some of it goes through its own agency to Kainga Aura, but yes, uh, a lot of it is being siphoned off for extractive financial profit for shareholders uh, who are property owning and increasingly the elite. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying all bad landlords are bad. I mean, there's some great ones out there who are deliberately keeping their rents down at an affordable level. You know, uh, I don't want to cast uh, or tar everybody with the same brush. No, of course. But the system is broken and we need to address the root cause, which is increasingly the lack of affordable housing supply, both rental and, and um, ownership, pathways to ownership. So just before we move, just before we move on, just looking at the the, the recent announcements about um, you know moving the, the bright line and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, obviously, there was always more that could be done. Yep. But in general, you know, in summary, what what's your thoughts about the past few weeks and the government policy? Is it a step in the right direction? Should there have been more done? Yeah. Was it a little bit off the mark? Oh no! Absolutely applaud it. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely delighted that, that, that this government has taken its first tentative step. It, well, they, would, they might argue it's a bold step, but certainly what we would want to be doing as the community housing sector, uh, 100 providers across the country have looked at these reforms, looked at these changes. A lot of the church leaders who met with the Prime Minister and the Minister of Housing just a couple of weeks ago to have this very conversation, same thing really want to encourage the government to keep going. If that was the, if that was the first step on, the, on, on addressing the systemic housing issues, mm. good job, well done, keep going. Don't stop now just because there's some criticism from some certain interest groups. And, and I think it takes us back to something we talked about previously, which was, you know, the government is not the answer for the housing crisis, but what they can do and what they've just done is a good example of them adapting policy and changing things to stop the rampant speculation, to, right. to, to stop the rampant profiteering uh, and, and uh, all of the little loopholes that people can go through so they, they, you know, they, they're all right, Jack. Yeah, that's right. About. And it's, in a way, it's, 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 um, it's something we had a, a fabulous um, uh, visitor from the United Nations came out last, last year, Leilani from the United Nations. She's the special rapporteur for, for housing. And, and she talked about the financialization of housing, where it's become a commodity and a financial tradable asset rather than a home. And in a way, this is a really lovely and wonderful bold step from the government to signal a, a move in the direction away from domestic property being a tradable commodity like a stock in, in the stock market and, and moving it back towards being a home. 
So um, we applaud that and we encourage the government to continue to grow in its courage and its boldness and to continue working in other areas as well because there's a whole wide range of other measures available that need to be taken to, to, to start changing the system settings and, and, and getting the housing system working for the people of New Zealand. But obviously, you know, the government can't build enough state houses and it's probably not, and it's not probably the sensible um, option either Correct. so that's where we have to look to 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 private industry and investment funds and all of these type of things yeah and it was interesting you we were just walking up here and you was talking about the investment funds that you know they seem to be these penguins on icebergs all nervous to jump into the water because they think they're going to get eaten by a whale but you know once once a few dip their little that they will feet in, then hopefully the rest will follow. I mean, is can you is the is the momentum palpable? Is it something which you can? Yeah, very exciting. It's very exciting on a number of levels. So, so number one, most Kiwis might be surprised to realise that we're probably about eighty, maybe a hundred thousand houses short of what we need to, today, and that's growing as as migration patterns. You know, we've got a lot of returning Kiwis at the moment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. When you think about building 80,000 or 100,000 houses, that's a lot of wood to chop. And so you're right, there's too much wood to chop for the government to chop it all on its own. And it's great that they're building more state houses. We, we, we're delighted they're doing that. That's the right thing for them to be doing. And we also all need to be doing more. And so where we're excited is that we're starting to see the emergence of this uh, movement which has been quite well advanced in other countries, especially the United States, uh, UK, other European members, uh, even across the ditch in Australia. It's this thing called impact investment where in the old days people used to, like, like the old philanthropic model was I'll make my money and then I'll give some money away when I've, when I've made my nice big pot. And a lot of trusts and foundations used to work in the same way as well. They would call it an endowment. So they would, they would get a big pot of money and then they would invest that money somewhere to earn a maximum financial return. And then they would do some good with that return, which might be 5% of, of the total capital sum. There's been a massive rethink globally, and it's called impact investment. And now what people are doing, instead of taking that 5% that they've earned on, on the big pot, what they're doing is they're investing that big pot into doing good. And housing is an excellent example of where that can be a highly effective mechanism, which balances both the needs of the investors, because they're getting a decent and fair return financially, but it's, it's, it's 25 times bigger in terms of the impact you get because instead of taking the 5%, you're working with the 100%. And so what we've got now is people investing tens of millions and we're working our way up the food chain. I don't think it's going to be too long before I'm talking with you and saying, hey, we've had our first $100 million investor. Where they're investing that investment through us into the community housing sector to, to facilitate the creation of new housing supply across the country. So quite exciting. Can I just step in and play devil's advocate a little sure. bit? Um, how much is their eagerness less of an act of altruism and more of an act of, of other investment vehicles or markets becoming increasingly shaky? Okay, so th this, th here's a live example, right? So, so and, it's and I love the honesty. So 
talking to Sam Goldwater at, at Generate KiwiSaver, who invested fabulous amounts of money, over half of the Salvation Army community bond which we issued. So over 20 million was invested by Generate KiwiSaver. He, he was really honest with me. He said, let's be straight about this. We're investing because we're getting a good return for our KiwiSaver members. That's why we're investing. Yeah. So, and I respect him for that because it's honest. But the social dividend that he's getting in terms of all the lives that are being transformed by that investment is just cream on the top for him because he gets to talk to his members of his KiwiSaver fund about that and they love it. Well, I mean, you know, one can just hope that it, you, you have some hard-nosed fund managers that initially look at something and go, actually, that's a reasonable investment. And then hopefully after a few years of doing it, they go, actually, I quite feel quite good about doing that. Well, that, that and that's it, right? So we're at this early stage where we're having to be really just open and honest about the interest and the coupon that will be paid to the investors and it's got to stack up for them, it's got to work for them because that's their duty of care as KiwiSaver fund managers, for example, is to make sure that they're doing the best by their, because these are, these are effectively New Zealand's pension funds. Yeah. So we've got to look after the, the money first. But I think what you're pointing at is what we're seeing emerging and we're right on the cusp now in New Zealand where people are going, hey, that feels so good that I'm starting to, I had a conversation with another major Australian bank this morning, and they, they were talking about this tipping point that you reach where you've got to listen to your customers. And what's happening is that the customers are now saying, hey, I want a piece of that. I want, I want my money to be doing good, not just earning money. And that's exciting, because it's just, we're sort of just getting to that, that stage where people are, are walking, walking from the consumer level and asking for it. Well, I think it's interesting because in, in recent years, you know, actually in recent months, never mind recent years, you know, increasingly you're seeing private personal investment where people are going, actually, where, where, where is my money invested? Yes. You know, you know is, there any, is there any oil or blood diamonds or, or, or large-scale agriculture going on here? Well, that, that's the language in, in the sector now. People, Because it used to be what you'd, they would do this um, screen and they call it a negative screen. So they would, they, these are the big institutional, you know, the banks and the investment funds, they would do what's called a negative screen. Now that is saying, I'm not going to invest in prostitution and I'm not going to invest in tobacco and I'm not going to, it's, they're, they're telling you what they're not gonna do. The, the, everything's changed now. What are you gonna do? That's what, well, that's what we're really interested in as caring human beings. Yeah. I want to know what you are doing with that money, not what you're not doing with it. Yeah, because you can say, well, I'm, we're not going to invest in, we're not going to invest in petrochemical, but then they can, they can quite easily go and invest in a, in a, in a subsidiary of something which is not exactly. quite as dirty, but it's still the same. <laughs> but they've made exactly. their correct statement, they're not doing something specifically. Yeah. Whereas if you do, like you say, more proactively and positively, you go, we are going to invest in. Yeah, and there's a fantastic, uh, there's a guy called Barry Coates here in New Zealand who runs a website called Mindful Money. Yeah. And he's probably the best in the business at helping people to navigate because he's got all these tremendous tools. He dives right down into the detail of all these investment funds and finds out exactly where their money is invested and then he allows you to compare different products with each other on how well they're performing ethically or environmentally. So I'd encourage people to go and check that out. If you want to if you want to know what's being done with your money or compare your KiwiSaver funds, that's a great resource for people to help inform themselves and empower themselves and make conscious decisions about what they're, what they're doing with their money. Yeah, because, you know, for people who haven't listened to the, the, the previous chat that we had, I, I, I recommend they, they go and do so. But what we're talking about here is, is with community finances, is 
working with these investment for, for, uh, funds, making a huge pot of money available to let social housing providers access competitive or even, you know, yeah. slightly leveraged finance rates. Yeah, basically, yeah, basically the idea is we want to provide... Um, so is that cutting out the banks completely? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah it is. We're, we're, we're basically, we're stepping into the space where the banks might traditionally have been a little bit afraid to go because um, there's three main reasons. One reason is a lot of the banks and lenders don't really want to be on the front page of the newspaper for, for, for shutting down a charity or a church or a harpu organisation who were trying to do some good. So they they have very you know reputational risk there for them to be doing that sort of a lending. So not accepting the application in the first place negates. Well, just just <laughs> maybe finding a reason to decline yes. it in the credit department. Right. And the other the other thing we're doing so we're doing those sorts of loans to those sorts of organisations because that's why we exist. The other thing is the price of our money is cheaper. So we we're, we're lending money to those charitable organisations cheaper than they would otherwise be able to get it from your average bank or, or, or certainly a lot cheaper than any of the mezzanine finance operations, especially because we're doing construction finance, which is traditionally considered risky. So if there's a risk attached, then the price usually goes up. And, and um, the third thing is, 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 is just around the values alignment. So what, what, what are the key aspects of the project? Are you doing good? Because if you're coming to me and asking for a loan because you want to make yourself more money, you need to go somewhere else because I'm, I'm not going to do business with you. Um, and so there's got to be some social good in the, in the system in terms of what's being delivered. So really, um, the other element is securities are a big deal for a lot of these charities. So we've got much less onerous securities. We will take a first mortgage over the actual properties that are being developed but we're not going to take unrelated securities over all sorts of other elements in their business and therefore tie them up in knots and, and, and reduce their ability to, to operate. So it's really about being a, an ethical funder of new housing developments at the lowest cost possible and also providing a good margin to the investors. So we just, what we, the way we do that is we just squeeze down our, um, our, our margin that we charge to a very, very low level. So the first bond we did, that was 0.69%, where the banks would typically be charging 2%. So we're doing 69 basis points, they're typically doing 200 basis points. So that's the value proposition there. Yeah. So look, I mean, this all sounds fantastic and it looks like everything's moving in the right direction. But how are you, you know, over the next few months or the next year, how will you be spending your time in this space? Okay, so we, we, we've launched this Aotearoa pledge, which is really a commitment from the private sector to invest money over the rest of the year into community housing um, projects. Uh, we launched that seven weeks ago. In seven weeks, we've raised 71 million of that 100 million. So that's going really well. Now, that's cause for celebration in one sense that it's working, but 100 million is nothing. We really need to be investing about $2,000 million a year every year for the next 15 years to have a change that, that is going to make a significant difference. So, Is there enough capacity in the, the private investment market to, to do that? Yes, so, so just so you know, this, and good for your listeners to know, there's 77 thousand million dollars in KiwiSaver funds today in New Zealand. 77 billion. And, 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 and so that's a very, very wonderful asset 
for New Zealand, if we can divert just a portion, even 10% of that, towards this sort of project, that's a game changer. It changes everything. We can actually solve our own solutions with our own money. We don't need foreign investment to help us address the housing crisis. We can use our own pension funds to fix our own problem. It just seems like one of those no-brainers you know, no once you get a grasp of it because you know, you've got investment companies doing the right, well, they're, they're making uh, profitable decisions, they're, they're making ethical decisions, and it's solving a lot of housing issues and housing crisis. Well, exactly right, exactly right. And that's, I mean, like, like um, Sam and the team from Simplicity dropped 20 million in um, last week. Right. Great news, absolutely fantastic. Um, and one can hope that once once you get a few more people like Sam doing that, yes, then the, 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 then the penguins start <laughs> looking into the water and go, Fred's not been eaten yet. Well, that's, oh, he's all right. That's right. That's right. And and, and um, better still, you know, the fish are almost jumping into their mouths. So <laughs> so let's go. So that's that's look. That's our hope and aspiration. Right. So very very soon, to answer your question, look, first bond we issued was 40 million, that went really well, it closed early, it was oversubscribed. So this year the focus is on delivering a series of community bonds across the country with, with proven, tested community housing providers to use up that 100 mil of commitment that we've got there and deliver, actually deliver new housing. At the same time, we're gonna, we've realised with this 100 million campaign that that's not enough, so we're going to go again and we're going to go larger. Um, because we're getting a sense that, that the market realises that we all need to pull together as Kiwis to address this problem. Um, it's, it's all of our problem. It's not, it's not just people who don't have a house's problem. It's, our, it's a societal problem. It's a, an issue of justice and equity. It's an issue of health, mental health. It's an education issue. Uh, if you read the papers, you'll see it's now a, a crime issue. Um, the, you know, house, housing is, is both the, the greatest cause and symptom of poverty, depending on which side you're on. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really aware of the fact that you and I are having this conversation, we're talking, you know, financial terms, we're talking about markets, we're talking about this, but what, what, what's difficult to do with you and I sitting down like this is actually to show the impact this has, because it's a very personal story for a lot of people. And I know we're, we're, we're talking about potentially going and, and telling the stories of of, of how this type of work and how this kind of um, these projects actually get people into their own homes, um, but it's great understanding the nuts and bolts of it. It just seems like a no-brainer, and you know, it, and it's also refreshing that that this isn't something where we're continually turning to the government and saying, "What are you doing about it? What are you doing?" About it? I think that's the beautiful thing about this because the government really, I mean, um, in some of the situations where we're producing new social rental housing, the government's playing an ongoing and very important role because they're paying the rent. Yeah. So that's great because it makes the economics work. But we're looking at developing affordable rental products and build-to-rent products, as you see quite commonly in Europe. We're also looking at assisting with progressive home ownership products where people can staircase their way towards owning their own home. Many of those don't require or use any government assistance at all. And it is really quite exciting to see the private financial markets joining up with the community housing sector and delivering solutions at scale uh, without the government. Absolutely agree. Because even, you know, the reality is, you know, within probably 
15, 20k of where we're sitting here, the average house price is probably a million bucks, I suspect. And even with the, the new government, uh, you know, ideas coming in and, and banks agreeing their five percent deposits, well, that's still 50 grand. Then you've still got a 950 grand mortgage to service. Yeah. Uh, and it's just not achievable. Well, no. I mean, one of our directors at Community Finance is the economist Shama Bill Yaakov. And he, he's arguing uh, quite convincingly, actually, that for many New Zealanders, the dream of home ownership is, is it's over. The gap now between average incomes and average house prices is, is, is unbridgeable. And so we need to perhaps uh, get angry and then move on to mourning and acceptance as quickly as possible and start building affordable rental product for those people. Uh, where affordable is defined as one third of total combined gross household income. Uh, look, I, I think the point that Shamabil is making is that for many, um, that, that, that's not going to be possible in their lifetime. And we agree with providing the choices for people if they are able and capable to get a deposit together to transition into independent home ownership. And there's a lot, that, that is, if you're thinking of market failure, which ideally is the place where government should go, that's a great example because they've done these things before. State advances, fixed low interest loans were absolutely transformational for many New Zealand families, allowing them for the first time to move from rental and accumulate some wealth, which is the definition of getting yourself out of poverty, through home ownership. So we could do that again. We could dust that off and do that again. They also used to allow people to capitalise the family benefit for the same reason, to, to, in order to purchase their way into home ownership. But that's another policy which we could dust off and, 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 and do again, because that, that, that wealth that was accumulated in those households with those baby boomers who benefited from capitalising the family benefit and benefited from the state advances, low interest government mortgages and loans, has now been recycled multiple times into the next generation. That's why so many young people now who own homes own their homes is because they leveraged off the equity of their parents who took that equity out of a government scheme. So that's a really great idea if we're talking about what some other bold steps that the government could take might be. There's a whole range of things in the financial space that they could be doing, including providing underwrites for the sorts of bonds that we issue so that the financial markets will come in because... The penguins are slightly less nervous. They're, they're less nervous, right? Because the government comes in and shoes away the killer whales. Exactly. exactly. So I, I remain ever hopeful. <laughs> that should be your middle name. Paul, <laughs> ever hopeful you Gilbert. change my name. That's a good idea. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? Not ever given. That, stuck, that got stuck in there. Slightly it? different. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, thank you for your time. And look, let's keep on talking. And um, perhaps let's, let's, let's take a look at some case studies and projects and highlight the work a bit more. Would love to introduce um, you to some of the households who live in these houses we're financing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. Paul, thank you for your time. Awesome. Great to see you. Cheers.